Good morning and welcome to the Automation Morning Show for Thursday, August 17th, 2023. My name is Sean Tierney from the Automation Blog and School and this is a roundup of what's new and happening in industrial automation. I hope you all are having a great day and uh, your morning's off to a great start. I'm running a little behind today, but uh, that's okay because I know most of you watch this uh, not live, but after the fact on the many platforms we even publish it as a podcast so you can listen to it that way as well. And with that said, let's go ahead and get started. And I want to start by, um, first, I did it again. I forgot to mute my speaker. So let me go ahead and do that real quick. And let's go ahead and start by uh, giving a shout out to our sponsor for today. And that is theautomationschool.com. If you know anybody who needs PLC, HMI, or SCADA training, please send them to our sponsor's website to check out their courses, theautomationschool.com. With that, let's jump into our first story here. And this is a, a press release from Locust Robotics. They've teamed up with DHL to uh, bring their warehouse automation to Asia. So I thought it was very interesting. Congratulations to Locust Robotics for, uh, in DHL for the partnership. And uh, it's pretty exciting to see a company like that start to expand outside of the U.S. From there, we go to another article. This one is a press release from ISA. We don't see a lot of these, but they're working with the Industry IoT Consortium to uh, update uh, IEC 62443, or ISA 62443. And this deals specifically with the mappings for asset owners, product suppliers, and service providers. And I thought that was interesting. We actually had the ISA on the show here to talk about cybersecurity, ISA 99, and 62443. That is podcast number 110. And it was Eric Kosman who came on and he went through and detailed everything. And I think it was a great episode. So if you're interested in that topic, check that out. Now, from there, we go over to Banner. Banner has an announcement on their website that they have added remote configure and view information, uh, viewability to their XS26 safety controller. So I thought this was very interesting. I'm actually uh, uh, traded some emails with Banner about getting them on the podcast to talk about this product. Looks like a very interesting product. And of course, you know, with ArcFlash and all the precautions we have to take to get in many electrical enclosures these days, being able to re remotely monitor or configure your safety controls is a pretty important feature. So congratulations to them for adding that. And um, hopefully we'll get them on the show here in the near future. From there, we go over to a very interesting article from BNR. This is, um, now the title almost threw me because a lot of the articles I read that have the word sustainable in them or sustainability in them, they're like those virtual signaling articles without any real meat or substance to them, you know? And, you know, I think most of us in this industry were more brass tacks, right? So in any case, um, this really could be retitled from, or uh, renamed from transitioning to sustainable energy and motion control to transitioning to energy efficient servos. And I really thought it was a very interesting article. Um, they talk about a couple different things like the effect of using power factor correction. They also talked about um, how they can get efficiencies, gain efficiencies by uh, combining IGBTs and MOSFETs. So if you're into this type of stuff, if you use servos and you think about energy efficiency, I think you'll enjoy this article from BNR. Uh, from there, we go over to an article from ProSoft. Now, ProSoft in this article is talking about J1939. I really didn't know anything about it, but apparently this is a network, kind of like um, 
CAN is for a car, but it's a network that allows um, large vehicles, whether they be construction or big rigs, excuse me, <coughs> um, to communicate with each other, and they make a bridge, ProSoft makes a bridge from J1939 to both Modbus TCP as well as um, to Ethernet IP. So I thought it was very interesting. I myself was just uh, connecting to the OBD2 connector on my car to see if the O2 sensor um, had cleared so I can take it down hopefully uh, this afternoon or tonight to get it inspected. But in any case, so I thought that was an interesting article and I wanted to share that with you. Uh, from there we go over to Linmont. Now they have a great article about their brand new SM pick and place robots. Now what's new about this? Let me go ahead and play the video. The video was very cool as well. So what this is, is it's a pick and place robot that's 100% electrical, right? So they're saying that it can save you up to 95% over a pneumatic system. So something you may want to check out if you're looking for pick and place robots. This one specifically is food grade. It's all stainless steel and you can get it either in IP69 or IP67S. So depending on the rating you need, they can provide it. I think the video does a great job of showing it in action for anybody who's listening to the show. Um, I think the video, video does a great job of showing the actual pick and place in action and goes through all the features and functionality of their device. So check that out. Um, from what they say, you can order this whole thing with just one part number. You don't have to buy all the different components. So from there, we go over to our Spotlight product for today. We're spotlighting the AutomationSchool.com's PianoView Plus course. This course comes in two flavors. There's a $49 one that comes with lifetime access and support. And then there's a $69 version that's the same course, but it comes with the next course for free. We have some exciting news. Uh, we can't announce all the details right now, but we have hooked up with the vendor to do a new in-depth HMI course early next year. So um, that will allow us to develop a new uh, lesson plan like we did with the uh, recent course we did on the S7. We redid the entire lesson plan for that course. And then now we're refilming six courses on PLCs using that same lesson plan. We will be doing the same for this, uh, this other HMI vendor here shortly. And then we'll go back and hopefully do HMI courses on all the HMIs you see behind me. But uh, pretty exciting stuff. I'm looking forward to doing that. It's one of the top HMIs on the market, but I don't want to say too much yet um, until uh, we receive the PO and we're ready to go. But in any case, if you do need to learn about the PanelView Plus today, um, this is a great course, and I personally support this course. I've been using the PanelView Plus since it was in beta, and I actually used the predecessor that used FactorTalk View ME version 1, 1, 5, and 2, the 6182CE industrial CE computer. So I know my stuff when it comes to this. We actually do have PanelView Plus 7s and PanelView Pluses in-house. I haven't found an affordable 6 yet, but there's, the differences between the 6 and the 7 are minor and the standard are minor. But in any case, I do look forward to redoing this course next summer. And uh, But if you need to jump in right now, go ahead. I've been adding articles. I've been answering questions ever since I released this course. So you still get a good training by uh, signing up for this course. Now, from there, I want to go over to an article, article from DigiKey. And this article is entitled, um, How to Connect Legacy Factory Automation Systems to Industry 4.0 Without Disruption. And I think they did a good job on this article. I really do. It's well worth a read. It's easy to read couple of problems with this article, and I'm not going to do a whole did they get it right, but um, a couple of problems they had with this article. Now, the first thing is when they talk about the initial PLC networks, right? You know, we know that the first couple of networks, as far as, uh, you know, those of us in North America are concerned, 
The first couple of uh, PLC networks were uh, Modbus and Data Highway, both released in 1979, if I remember correctly. And, um, and, and, and when they're talking about those initial networks, they kind of talk about all these different ones that really um, are um, kind of confusing the way they approach that subject, I thought. Um, but I think the bigger issue is, I think they were trying to look for an example of a PLC they sell. And so here they're featuring uh, Simicode as a PLC. Now, granted, Simicode, you can, you can put a field bus on it. You can get it with a field bus. In this case, they're showing one with Profibus. Um, uh, you can do some control with it. You can do some extended uh, I.O. with it. But it, I wouldn't consider it a PLC. It's not supporting the IEC 611.31-3 instruction set as far as I could see from everything on Siemens' website. So they mention up here Siemens Sci Plus, which you will find some, uh, uh, you know, like ET200 Sci Plus PLCs, but they, they have a picture here of the Simicode. And so I think that's a little misleading, um, but the, the rest of the article I thought was great. And they talk about, um, you know, uh, going to Ethernet and they give you a little rundown of Ethernet and how it's... Uh, just better. I think most of us know Ethernet's better, right? I mean, we've already gone to Ethernet. And then they talk about some wide Mueller uh, gateways that they uh, they look like they were mostly Modbus TCP to, I'm sorry, Modbus RTU to Modbus TCP. Um, but in any case, I thought it was a good article. But um, if you want to know more about Simicode, we did have Mark Berger on from Siemens, directly from Siemens, very recently, just last month. And he did two shows with us. He did a full deep dive into Simicode and uh, a great presentation he did there. And then he came on the automation demo and demoed using Simicode with real PLC, what I'll call real PLCs, um, an S7-1200 and a Compact Logix. So in any case, if you want to know more about Simicode, I'd uh, definitely recommend those two episodes. And uh, let's see if I can go back here. Um, for those listening, that's uh, Podcast 162 and the automation demo. I had to renumber these a while back, but. Oh, the automation dem demo number 11. So you can check those out up at theautomationblog.com. Uh, from there, we go over to PTC. I'm always checking this site for good blogs this year, and they had a couple uh, recently, and I wanted to share this one. This is uh, digitalization in manufacturing. Now, if you're trying to promote digitalization or digital transformation inside your company, this, I think, would be a very good article to start with um, or to add to your quiver. We've had several of these over the the, the months this year, and um, very easy to read, Good, well done. They talk about data-driven operations, increasing profits, enhancing the customer experience. A lot of that has to do with quality, producing better quality product, um, and you know saving money like we saw in the pancake uh, article yesterday, and uh, so on and so forth. Now, the one thing about this article, and again, I think this is a great article, but I, I, you know, sometimes these things just jump out at you, right? And this jumped out at me. They said the dawn of Industry 4.0 in April of 2011. And I'm like, like, like most of us see like, um, you know, we don't think the iPhone was the first smartphone, right? We all know there was predecessors to that. The iPhone was very splashy and very popular and a lot of people jumped on it. But there were smartphones before the iPhone. We all know that, right? And we know like, you know, one of the first tablets was the Newton from Apple way, way back. And it didn't really do very well, right? But in any case, I mean, products evolve over time and you have hit, hit products now and again. And a lot of times they change the direction of the industry, right? Like the iPhone kind of did. But to say that Industry 4.0 was the dawn of Industry 4.0 was exactly in the month of April 2011. 
that just made my inner funny bone kind of like, it just triggered it, right? I thought it was very funny. So as somebody who's been in this industry since 1990, okay, I don't really feel like there was a lot of difference from March 2011 to May 2011, right? And so, you know, if we look at SCADA and HMIs and data collection and reporting, that all predates April 2011. So very interesting on why Frost and Sullivan thinks Industry 4.0, uh, uh, that was the beginning of it, April 2011. I'd like to know more of their reasoning behind that. I kind of think it funny because I, I, you know, I always see things as gradual improvements and, and um, you know, instead of just like, hey, Industry 4.0 starts today. So in any case, but um, great article if you want to talk digitization with your upper management. From there, we go over to Fisher. Now, Fisher is a company that makes a lot of connectors. And this is the first article I featured from them, um, but it's about single-peered Ethernet. And I thought they did a great job in this article. It's one of those articles you might want to add to your SPE collection, uh, talking about them. This one specifically talks about using it with IIoT and some of the benefits. It talks about some of the specs and distances. And we all know, like, the information you get over Ethernet versus the information you get over an analog peer, even if you have heart. Or, or, or IO link. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just uh, tremendously more information over Ethernet, right? You can pretty much do everything over Ethernet that we do today over networking, right? Um, we're not so much with Heart. Heart has a lot of information in it, but not as much. Um, you know, so in with SPE, you can go. You're talking a thousand, you know, a thousand meters, right? So with a single peer, so very, very cool. Now I will point out one thing here. Um, that uh, they do say, um, and going through this, they say they talk about the history and the industry, and they talk various communication systems like Profinet, Cat5, Cat6, Industrial Ethernet, or Ethernet Cat. And I just, I found this, this really just jumped out at me as I was reading the article. First of all, Profinet is a protocol, uh, EtherCat is a protocol, and in between them, they put two medias, right? Two cable types, Cat5 and Cat6. So that confused me. And then they threw an Industrial Ethernet, which is kind of like a whole category right of, of stuff right that could include protocols and cables so i thought it was a very uh very um awkward sentence being somebody from industrial automation world and um they also left off uh, the the one of the networks that are tied for number one with profinet for uh actually implementation that's ethernet ip so um but besides that great article um definitely something you'd want to add to your list of articles on single peer ethernet from there, we go over to uh, Locus Robotics again, debunking the top 10 warehouse fears about robotic automation. And I won't go through the whole article, but let's just run down the top 10 fears. I thought you guys might find this interesting. This is by Mary Hart. I got an email into her to try to get her to come on the show to tell us all about their company. But uh, let's go through the top 10 here. We got high costs, technical challenges, security risks, inflexibility, integration hurdles, worker resistance, job loss, safety risks, accuracy concerns, and lack of support. Now, for each of those, Mary goes through and talks about, you know, the plus side or the benefits and why that fear may not be uh, as big or a bigger concern as need be. But I thought it was a great article and I wanted to share with that with you. From there, we go to Aviva. We actually have two articles from Aviva. The first one is Five Ways In Touch Unlimited Isn't Your Grandpa's HMI. Now, I'm a grandpa. And so I'm like, and I do have HMIs from 1990 and earlier here. I have some older ones in the garage. So um, in any case, a lot of times when I'm thinking of InTouch, I'm thinking SCADA, not, not HMI. I mean, it can do both, right? But, um, you know, you can use a PC as an HMI. And I, I don't know if InTouch can actually be 
sent uh, uh, this, the projects can be sent to like a, an OIT, right? Can they? I don't know. Probably need to reach out to InTouch and get them on the show. Um, always been a big fan of InTouch. They, they're a great competitor in the SCADA space. Um, I just got to find somebody to reach out to and get them on the show to tell us all about them. But in any case, um, they go through here and they talk about five ways that the unlimited version of InTouch um, is uh, just uh, is a good product. What I liked about this is with every example, with each of these five bullets, they include a case study. And I thought that was cool. So you can read up more about uh, where InTouch in is being deployed. Uh, but in any case, uh, number one, improved visibility. That makes sense. Number two, native native data handling, native data sharing and analysis. So some SCADA packages do that better than others, right? Uh, number three, intelligent automation. So that one, you know, I, that really comes down to the engineer, I think, not the package itself. Uh, number four, visual anomaly detection. This one I thought was very interesting. They talk about their visual AI assistant. So uh, that's number four. And number five, augmented reality, augmented reality. So I don't know what they do in augmented reality. I don't know that a lot of the SCADA HMI companies do augmented reality. So again, I, I would love to get somebody, if you know anybody in touch, please put them in touch with me or Aviva. Love to know more about that. That augmented reality um, part did stand out to me because we had a great company on the show back podcast 92. This is uh, IQ Agent. And uh, not only did Bob do a uh, like a presentation going through all the different features and functions, he actually did a demo. And really, it is just amazing what this company does. So if, uh, if you want to know more about augmented reality, in other words, you want to hold your tablet up with the camera pointing at the process and have relevant uh, data on the screen, um, they do a great job at that. Really, really interesting stuff. So check that out if you're interested. Episode 92. From there, we go over to the second article from Aviva today. This is an article about um, their new unified engineering product. And uh, I didn't even know they were coming out with a new product. And um, this talks about Accenture actually deploying it in a, in a beta application and uh, looking at the, you know, how it, how it works and is it better and is it more efficient and so on. And uh, so again, uh, another new product here coming out from Aviva. Very interesting stuff. Uh, from there, we go over to an article about from uh, Ovisi MDT. And this is an article about the new feature coming to Octoplant, and it's called their Asset Inventory Feature. So, you know, products like uh, uh, Octoplant that back up your PLCs and then uh, in other devices and then give you a report on the differences, they're so um, so useful, right? Not only are you, uh, you know, protecting your investment by storing the latest copy of the program and all previous copies of the program, right? You're also getting reporting on, hey, if something's not working, what was the change? You can go right to it. So that's great, but I think it makes a lot of sense to add asset inventory to that. So, I mean, how, how many of us know in our plants the version of every PLC, the firmware of every PLC, or VFD, or servo remote, uh, controller, or whatever, right? And so having this in this package, I think is a very good idea, excuse me. And so this goes through it. And then after this article, you come down to the bottom, there's actually a press release. So if you're interested in that, check that out. We are in conversations with having uh, obviously MDT on the show. So the talk Octoplant. So uh, hope, hopefully that'll be soon. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, from there we go to uh, a product update uh, from Software Toolbox. 
And this is their OPC data logger store and forward. Um, and it talks about using it. And um, if you don't know what store and forward is, if you have a product that's logging data to a database, a lot of times that database is going to be in the IT realm, right? On the IT network or on a server managed by IT, right? But you want the, the data logger, the engine that's grabbing the data from your control system, you want that on your side of the network, right? On your OT network. And so products like Rascal or later renamed Transaction Manager, I used to really like those because if there was a break in the connection between the database and the, the software that was running my Transaction Manager, it would store all the data that was not able to be put into the database, database locally. And then when the database connection came back, you know, it could be a broken network connection. It could be they're servicing the server and they had to take the server down. Um, but when it comes back, then uh, the software takes all the data with correct timestamps, right, of when the data actually was received and then feeds it back up to the, uh, the database so you don't lose anything. And that's a really key, whether you're using Pi or Transaction Manager or this OPC data logger, that's a very important feature to have in that type of product. And uh, I thought they did a very good job walking through it, explaining store and forward, explaining how to set it up in their data logger. And uh, so very interesting article. Again, if anybody knows somebody at Software Toolbox, I would love, please let me know. I'd love to get them on the show because they just have a great suite of products. From there, we go over the Universal Robots, our Universal Robots, and they have a new article on sensitivity and safety with robotics. And I thought um, it was interesting when they're talking about sensitivity here, they're talking about the amount of force it takes to get the robot to stop. So for this article, that's what they mean by that. And reliability on the hand is the likelihood that that stopping function will actually happen every time correctly. And so the article goes through that. So if you're looking at implementing robots or maybe you have a junior person on your staff and you have robots in the facility, I think this would be a great article for them to check out. From there, we go over to KUKA. Now this is a little less serious article and uh, I just thought it was really uh, funny. Um, this is an article from KUKA about a dentist who's using their robots to, to sterilize surgical instruments. So the robot, instead of a technician having to go through and, and move the, each instrument through the sterilization process, the robot does. And um, while this makes a lot of sense in an industrial environment, I thought it was a little funny that a dentist was doing this because this stuff is not inexpensive, right? This is not a little maker thing. So in any case, a little uh, tongue in cheek, but I thought it was interesting, so I did want to share it with you. From there, we go over to another kind of lighthearted story from Inductive Automation. This blog is from an engineer who actually has a hobby of raising chickens or chicks or ducklings. And um, in this case, he automated his incubator. And um, he goes through the history of it. Here you can see the little chicks. They're so cute. And um, you go through and he talks about bird eggs, ducklings and all that. And he gives some pictures of his early uh, units here of uh, his automation and um, you know and like that you know that's what you're going to do when you're doing a maker project and you don't want to bolt everything down because you're not sure you're going to keep it the way it is right and so great article very lighthearted. Um, he ends up using uh, the maker edition of ignition to give him alarms dashboards and whatnot he talks about using mqtt and so on so on and um, i really enjoyed it the one thing he said though is that he was using his in his arduino he was using uh, C++. And to me, you know, if I'm going to do automation, 
I'm not going to use C++, right? And, and great, look, if C++ is like a second language to you, great, use it, right? But for me, I want to use IEC 611.31-3. So, um, you know, well, I thought this was a great article, and it really does uh, feature uh, Ignition, the Maker Edition of Ignition, very well. If I was doing the same thing, I would probably use, if I didn't want to drop, I think it's $60 for the um, CodeSys license to go on a Raspberry Pi, I would probably use OpenPLC, not to be confused with PLC Open. OpenPLC is completely free, and it's an engine that runs on either an Arduino or a Raspberry Pi. We had Chigo Alves on our show back on episode 139. I've already reached out to him to get him to come back. Um, but he does a great job giving us an overview of this project, like how it started. It was like his master's, his uh, master thesis, I think, or PhD. I forget what it was, but he goes through how it was a, a project he had to do and, um, uh, and how um, he evolved it into an open source uh, application that anybody can get for free. And he even gives us a demo how to do some ladder logic. And uh, one of the things I remember, I love that you can stretch the blocks. If you have to, have to add more connectors, you can just stretch them to any size you want which I thought was really cool. But in any case, if you're listening and not uh, uh, watching, that is episode 139 of the Automation Podcast, and it's open PLC, and that's probably what I would use if I was going to do a maker project, if someday, hopefully, I have some time to do one. But in any case, uh, from there, we go over to Excita, and uh, this blog was a little heady, but I thought they had an excellent video here. Now, the blog is entitled The Importance of Considering Common Cause with Redundant Systems. And they, they look at this from the safety side. Now, a lot of our safety PLCs do have two CPUs, right? To make the, meet that one out of two uh, designation, but they have a common chassis or common power supply, right? And so he talks about like, you know, what that does as far as risk levels. And so they have an, uh, I thought an excellent uh, video here that talks about that as well. So I actually included this as the video of the day because I thought the article was a little too heady, at least for me, uh, you know, four o'clock in the morning. But in any case, from there, we go over to an event. Now, this is an event by uh, Locus Robotics, and it says, I need to add automation, so now what? Again, this is talking about warehouse automation, and this event is on August 23rd at 11 a.m. Eastern. It's a one-hour webinar. So if you're interested in that, check that out. And uh, in our science and technology uh, article of the day is, Tape Storage Might Be Computing's Climate Savior. So I typically don't do things that talk about climate, um, but... I thought this was great, especially since I have such a uh, assorted history which, with tape storage when I was a kid. You know, I, my burgeoning career as a Commodore VIC-20 and Commodore 64 programmer was cut short because the tape drive just wouldn't record over 10K of programs. So I could not write anything over 10K, and then all my projects just stopped right there, and I got interested in cars and girls. But in any case, um, from there, it, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, I think many of us who've worked with Alan Bradley for a long time, we have bad memories of the 1770 SA and SB. Not so much that they took a long time to record the program they did, but the fact that um, the tapes would also often get erased by, you know, when maybe somebody was degaussing their, you know, monster CRT or something. So in any case, uh, all kidding aside, though, you know, they make a good point here. You know, 60% of data that's being stored on HDDs, on hard drives, is cold data that's never accessed. So it probably would make more sense to send that to a tape. You know, it uses like 3% of the uh, energy to put it on a tape once and then put it on a shelf in a safe place offsite um, than it would be to keep it on a hard drive running 24 seven. 
So they do make some good points. I also thought it was a good way for you to, 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 to do some tongue-in-cheek about uh, my, uh, my sordid history with tape, tape storage. But in any case, a uh, very interesting article nonetheless. Now, if you think I missed any news that's come out, maybe I'm not following a vendor that's one of your favorites. Could be. I mean, there's so many vendors out there, right? Um, or if you just want to send me a tip or send me a comment, you can use the news tip link on the automationblog.com or automate.news to send me a news tip or comments. You can also, I also want to thank our sponsor for today's show, theautomationschool.com. If you know anybody who needs PLC, HMI, or a SCADA training, please send them to our sponsor's website, theautomationschool.com. Um, if you want to be a uh, part of our community, you can sign up for starting at $2 a month over at automation.locals.com. And uh, I know I have some uh, Q&A up there I got to do later today, but uh, we'd love to have you. And I want to thank everybody who signed up, probably because I'm running so late today, probably do the live stream tomorrow after the morning show. Uh, from there, uh, just a reminder that all 1,500, closing on 1,600 articles and videos up at theautomationblog.com are completely free. But to keep the service running, we need we need advertisers. So we have advertisers like Siemens advertising with us right now. Thank you, Siemens. Please, if you see that on our website, please check out their IT and OT security options. Um, but if you want to support us and you don't want to do the uh, $2 a month, you can buy one of our content collections. You can buy our Control Logics ebook, Compact Logics ebook, or one of our video collections. All of them are offline copies that you buy once and keep forever. And with that, we also have, if you don't have enough coffee cups and t-shirts, which is highly unlikely, but if you need another one, you never know, we also offer coffee cups and t-shirts with uh, cool symbols and snazzy sayings like, may the function blocks be with you, um, up at theautomationblog.com forward slash shop, all lowercase. And from there, I just want to remind you that every single link in all 85, 86, 87 episodes we've done this year of the Automation Morning Show, every single link to everything we've ever talked about, you will find at automate.news. No www, no.com, it's just automate.news. Every single link is up there. You click on the link, you go right to the story. There's no in-between advertisement or anything like that. And if you are using this site to check out some of the things that we talk about, please thank our sponsor. Today you can see it is Siemens. They are sponsoring the Automation Blog and uh, automate.news with advertising. We really appreciate that. It keeps the servers running. And with that, I just want to thank you all for tuning in today. And I want to wish you all a very happy, safe, and healthy day. And as always, until next time, peace.